Recovery Elevator, episode 441. I think it was the first time I admitted to myself, I can't control this. And like, told myself, I cannot do this anymore for the rest of my life. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill, and I'm so excited to be here with you today. Listeners, on today's episode, we have Shane. He's 39 years old, from Birmingham, Alabama, and took his last drink on December 25th, 2021. Great job, Shane. I want to say thank you to all our Cafe Re chat hosts. You guys do such an incredible job. Thank you for your time. Listeners, today is going to be a good day. In fact, today has already been a good day. Okay, let's get started. Now, I do not have personal experience with heroin, but users commonly report that using heroin is like receiving a warm internal hug. Now, if you were to draw out the chemical structure of alcohol on a whiteboard, it would look strikingly familiar to the chemical structure of heroin, which may be the reason why I personally can report receiving a warm hug from alcohol. So today, I want to simplify what is happening with an alcohol addiction, or at least the precursor. Just as Tom Hanks formed a legitimate bond with a Wilson volleyball in the movie Castaway, we build a deep connection with the molecule alcohol, a connection that fills our human needs of connection to survive. I can only speak for myself, but alcohol was my best friend. It was always there, always agreed to the plan, and it never talked back. Well, hangovers were a bitch, but you get the point. A commonality I hear in this space is the response to our first drink. It's a fireworks show internally that connects the missing dots. For me, I finally felt connected. Now, I grew up non-Mormon in South Salt Lake City in the 80s. I was one of a couple kids in my school who were not Mormon. I know exclusion. When I had my first drink at the age of 13, it wasn't a question of if I was going to drink again, but when. Why? It's because alcohol both highlighted and solved the unrest I had been carrying with me since adolescence. The problem of not fitting in or feeling outside the group was solved as far as I was concerned. And it was solved for probably seven years until I became physically addicted to alcohol in my early 20s. Now don't beat yourself up if you find yourself in a tightly intertwined relationship with alcohol. Humans are pack animals and we need connection to survive. We need partnership. As addiction guru Dr. Gabra Mate would say, congratulations, you found alcohol. You found a way to survive. Yes, there is the disease model, but there's also the unease model where we grew up in a dysfunctional household, grew up with alcoholic parents. We didn't receive the attention we needed as a child, and alcohol was the temporary solution. After all, if drinking is but a symptom, the root cause has something to do with unrest, a deep unrest or a lack of connection with ourselves and others. This unrest most likely formed when we lack the vocabulary to stand up for ourselves, or the physical strength. When we are unable to advocate for ourselves, a deep satisfaction took hold. It's unfortunate, but let's get real, life isn't fair. As the 19th century evolutionary biologist Charles Darwin said, life is a constant struggle. Now the survival mechanism alcohol has a shelf life, as those who are listening now can attest. The body becomes accustomed to alcohol, tolerance builds, and we find ourselves needing more alcohol to get the same feeling of connection, resulting in worse hangovers, blackouts, more shame and guilt, and just over the horizon, liver failure awaits. Now, the addiction is not your fault. I want to double stamp that. 
But as Laura McCowan says in her new book, Push Off From Here, it is your responsibility. Okay, so how do we fix this? Well, like I covered in last week's episode 440, it is robust social connections that fix this. In fact, baboons have figured this out and they heal their past traumas the same way. This is the main reason why you can't just quit drinking. You're saying goodbye to the most intense bond or partnership with no replacement. That gets painful. Hint, hint, cue pending relapse. Similar to how it took time to cozy up with alcohol, you're not going to establish these new healthy connections on day one of sobriety, but you can do both at the same time. It is possible to build healthier connections while you are drinking, ideally not on a four-legged stool beneath the lights of the neon moon. You can build these healthier connections before your day one of sobriety. So let's get started. Now, connection. It's important we start thinking outside of the box. When we hear connection in recovery, it is almost always linked to another human being. Yes, my podcast host, Chris Oyen, will have trouble discussing the latest episode of The Bachelor with a border collie, but we can 100% make the connections needed to survive with non-human souls. I recently saw a journal entry of mine from September 2020, right in the middle of COVID. I had listed my three best friends at that moment in my journal. They were Ben, Izzy, and Annie. All three of them are dogs. I found myself sheltering in place at my parents' house, and it was my job to get the dogs out. I loved it. The four of us had so much fun. I felt connected, and I was. I bring this up because some of us have difficulty making deep connections with other human beings. I am one of them. 100% connection with non-human souls can help us quit drinking. Animals help us release oxytocin, serotonin. They help our nervous systems relax. Studies show that plants and trees can do the same thing. There is an idea that everything is alive or sentient. Einstein believed this. This will be from your pet gecko to the rock in your front yard. We are all connected and we are all on the journey towards wholeness. Why would human beings be the only species on this trajectory? If you keep hearing the opposite of addiction is connection, and you're struggling with the human component of that, then start thinking outside the box. You can connect with animals, flowers, the birds, and even the stars. It's really up to you. Some people connect with a fly fishing rod in a river. Some connect with mountain peaks as they summit. Others connect with a stringed instrument. To summarize, we connected with a molecule, which ended up being the most dangerous and addictive molecule thus recorded, and there's plenty of data to back that up. So what's next? Start building connections with other people, places, and things like your life depends on it, because it does. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed today's intro. I had a good time putting it together. And before we hear from Shane, let's hear from today's sponsor, Go Brewing. Thank you to our newest sponsor, Go Brewing. Go Brewing has an amazing lineup of NA beers. Go Brewing has won a gold and silver medal at the prestigious Best of Craft Beer Awards for two of their beers. Their Sunshine State Tropical IPA will definitely be one of my go-tos this summer. You guys know how much I love mango. This beer has hints of mango and peach, and it's super refreshing. Go Brewing brews 100% of their beer in their brewery in Chicagoland. They package everything in-house as well. Every can is pasteurized for maximum freshness, safety, and quality. Everything is crafted from classic ingredients with no added sugar. The end result is a delicious, non-alcoholic beer, naturally lowering carbs and calories. 
If you are ready to try Go Brewing, save 15% as a listener of the Recovery Elevator podcast by using the code ELEVATOR, plus free shipping on three six-packs or more. Cheers. Shane, how are you? Doing great, Paul. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure, Shane. I'm excited to, to chat with you for a little bit here to share your story with the RE listeners regarding alcohol and all that jazz. But uh, let's get right into this, Shane. When was your last drink? December 25th, 2021. Yeah, great job, my man. Listeners, we're coming up uh, about a year and a half at the time of the recording. Good stuff. And Shane, I asked this question to the last interview I had, and it's kind of a newer question. Was that the first time you tried to quit drinking on December 25th, 2021? Um, no. Okay. Not the first time I've tried to quit. Gotcha. But it's something different about it this time around because I've had some previous long, like I've had one long-term success that got derailed, but I've approached it quite differently this time. Yeah. Something different about this time. I love it, Shane. We're going to get to all that. But first, give listeners a little background about yourself, my man, uh, where you're from, maybe what you do for a living, your age, do you have a family? And most importantly, what do you like to do for fun? Okay. I'm a 39 years old, grew up and currently live as well right outside of Birmingham, Alabama. I have a, an amazing wife, a four and a half year old boy, one and a half year old girl. I work in a heavy truck parts industry, kind of inadvertently followed my father into that career. And I've been playing guitar since I was 15. So about 25 years of music, music production, mastering, mixing, you know, all of that is my passion, but has been slightly relegated to a hobby, you know, that I still love doing. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, and I got to ask you the question, cause I'm, I'm wondering of you can't listeners can't see us, but there's a bunch of guitars behind you right now, Shane, just tell us what's the favorite guitar in that, in that stack back there. I'm looking at like five or six guitars. The 1974 Ibanez artist. I randomly discovered on eBay after losing like six or seven auctions on other guitars. And I was like, that one looks cool. I'll go for it. And it's just the greatest guitar ever built. I would put it up against a Les Paul or a Strat or an SG PRS. I don't know. It's just a great all around electric guitar. Yeah, there we go. All right, Shane, let's do this. <clears throat> Why don't you begin where you'd like to begin in with your story in regards to alcohol? Maybe when it was your first drink, you can start perhaps when you first recognize it was a problem. Let's hear it, my man. Sure. Thought a lot about this. We've had some events that have been kind of recent that have put it in the forefront of my mind, but kind of taken a bird's eye view on my family and like just the the history of alcohol surrounding just about everybody to some extent. But um, I think I was 20 when I had my first drink. And for some reason before that, I didn't have any like moral disdain for it or anything. I was just opposed to alcohol or cigarettes. My parent, my dad drank and smoked. And for whatever reason, I was at a beach trip with some friends, kind of got coerced, coerced into it to whatever, you know, however that exactly worked out. But I was, you know, I was up for it. And for about, I would say it's pretty uneventful seven or eight years after that, 
you know, as a musician and I waited tables, bartended about every aspect of my life was already surrounded by alcohol. And I'm a relatively shy person. So that always gave me this like, oh, I can go up and talk to people or I'm not, you know, anxious about playing this concert tonight. Um, so it was definitely like a crutch. But I think probably by the time I was about 27 or 28, I started kind of developing more of a heavy reliance on it. And I'm sure my tolerance had built. Shane, I got a question in your 20, you said you work in restaurants uh, as a musician. Was that, was that a goal of yours to, to really go after the music career? Yeah, that was, you know, from about the time I was 20 or so, that was my objective in life. You know, had some success with it, but it's one of those things you really have to, you have to stick it out and you have to, you know, get in some pretty uncomfortable financial situations if you, uh, if you really want to go for it. Yeah. Well, kudos to you for going for it. Okay. So you said about seven years after your first drink, uh, you know, things were under wraps or whatnot. Uh, keep going, my man. Yeah. I mean, I was probably still, you know, consuming alcohol every chance I got on the evenings, you know, and probably anywhere between five to 10 drinks, you know, was seemed like the norm. And I remember I was bartending one night and I just turned around and saw this, you know, that I had like four or five tables out there. I just saw this, all these people and I had my first panic attack. And I'm pretty sure at that point it was almost like a withdrawal. And I was like, holy crap, like this is giving me like physical problems. But you know, my first reaction was like, I can't wait to get home and drink so I can stop thinking about this. And that kind of set a uh, a pattern in motion where it was also like, you know, for the longest time, it was like, I'm having a bad day. I need a drink. Hey, today was really good. Let's celebrate and drink. Any excuse I could possibly have, I would I would use to drink alcohol. I didn't really have anybody like checking me on that either because my family drank and I hadn't met my wife yet, who is absolutely incredible at supporting me with these issues. And um, so that went on. And um, I met my wife, who was, um, we were playing we were friends working on an album together in 2009 and decided to move to Los Angeles as a band. And it really, you know, carried on the same level of drinking, maybe a little bit more, maybe during the, the daytime more on the weekends or on off days. And, you know, I could see it at that point. I asked one of my managers, I was like, how do you quit drinking? And I promised his answer was, you just stop drinking. And I was like, well, it makes sense, but I don't understand it at all. So I had moments there where I did sort of actively try, but I didn't seek any real way to do it. I left one thing out. You, you would think um, I got a DUI in 2008, and you would think that that would be a pretty good reason to say, oh, this is a problem. But I think like it didn't really derail anything for me at all. It was just maybe stubborn. But um, eventually living in California, my wife and I, like I said, we're friends at the time, but started dating. And that was like this incredible moment for me because I had been secretly in love with her for years. And we decided to move back to Birmingham. And my first job when I got back here was bartending. What I age were you when you came back? 32, 33, right around 2013. Okay. So 30, 32, yeah. 33. Just about 10 years ago. So Yeah. No. And and then let me ask you a question about the uh, the panic attack you said when you were bartending. Um, I've been I used to own a bar in Spain. I have had similar situations. I've lived through it, right? 
And was that a one-off or after that, was it like, man, me and alcohol, we need to, we need to do something about this or were the events from like that event to the DUI where they kind of just, eh, you know, they're one-offs or whatnot, or, you know, when did you really consider uh, to quit? Shall we say? I never had the like gumption on my own to do it. But when we got back here to Birmingham, there was one point um, where I just, I remember coming home from work and like, I think I bartended like a day shift or something. First thing I did was like stop and buy a vodka on the way home. I think my wife was at work. We were still, we have, we're not married yet. And I remember looking at my bank account balance and just being so incredibly like upset with myself and felt like a huge failure. Feel like I'd, my, my heart rate started to get really high and it was a panic attack. I just got to our apartment and I called 911 thinking I was having a heart attack. Wow. And I was like, okay. this is the end. And um, that obviously it was not a heart attack, but that really kind of told her he has a problem with alcohol far beyond what, you know, we had known at the time. So eventually it basically came down to our relationship will end or you can work on getting sober and then we can move forward. And it didn't take long at all. I just stopped. Um, I didn't go to recovery programs. I just started working out all the time and I was sober for about almost five years. Um, okay. This is earlier when you said you had significant chunk of time yeah. alcohol. Like free. 2014 to 2019. Okay. And 2014 really to 2019. Mm -hmm. Now, now with that, you just stopped and uh, that's, that's impressive. Right on, man. I, that's great. We're there. Was it a challenge right there? What was the mentality? Like I'm doing it so I can get this person back. And, and a lot of people, a nice job there, Shane, a lot of people, they're in that crossroads and they choose alcohol over the relationship, choose alcohol over the job. So that kind of pricked my ears of, you know, what was that, that just hard stop after, which to me sounds like, you know, some, some good years of drinking. Yeah. Expand yeah. a bit. I mean, it was very obvious to me, like, I mean, this is someone I'd been in love with for so long. And I think I was like, you know, just childishly holding on to a lot of this sort of baggage, like feeling like a failure for not succeeding in music, having a, you know, kind of a dead end job. And um, I started shortly before that, I started working for my dad and then it just, everything started to click. And then as soon as we really had some of those deep conversations, I think I tapered off alcohol for three days. I was like, I need to do this the scientific way or whatever I was thinking at the time. And then, um, yeah, I mean, it's, we, we actually started in a new band with other people and we were playing in bars, not super frequently, but enough for me to be around it a lot. And you know, I just was able to like kind of shut it off, like not think about it. You know, I think the failure there was I didn't, you know, start to pre-plan for the day that it would affect me again, that I would think about it or rely upon it. Sure. Yeah. So you're cruising 2014, 2019. My question is at the end there, did it get a little bit like life's in a dentist chair at times? It was a little bit rocky or bumpy. I had to stretch myself for two and a half years. And the first part was phenomenal. What's up, Pink Cloud? The second half at the end got a little old until one day it was like, holy shit, I'm drunk and I've drank all the, all the alcohol in my house, including my roommate's bottle of champagne from his wedding <laughs> that he kept. My bad, Nate. Episode four, five, six, or seven. Sorry, buddy. We've covered that. So yeah, what do you got? Uh, this might be a podcast first for you, but um, yeah, so it would, my dad died and um, had a, sudden massive stroke um in 29 in october 2019 but 
I actually started drinking again a few months before that. And I was drinking kombucha a lot. And I know there's like a little bit of alcohol in there. And one of my wife's friends who's a counselor was like, he probably doesn't need to do that. Doesn't need to, I think she said, relight the Christmas tree. And I didn't seem to have a problem with that, but I started buying, I drink seltzer water religiously and I started buying bitters and I would put like a little bit of that in there. And then I discovered how incredibly, incredibly potent bitters was. And um, I took the little drip cap off of there and I would actually just drink shots of bitters. And Okay. Um, that was the entry entry point there. Bitters, right? Okay. Yeah. I'm, not, weird I'm not familiar with that, but bitters is something that's sold at the grocery store that actually does an alcohol content, has alcohol, oh, correct? Yeah. It, it only comes out in these little drops, you know, but so it's like, uh, you know, in the bottle, it's probably like, you know, 300 servings or something crazy like that. But, <laughs> gotcha. Uh, and um, I wouldn't recommend it clearly uh, to anyone. And then my dad died. I was going to say that would be a convenient time to say, I mean, I guess I used it as a convenient excuse to really kind of dive back into drinking because we really didn't see that coming at all. And I kind of inherited his job and his career. Basically, I took over for him and um, like while he was still in the hospital. So like <clears throat> I'm coming to work every day, sitting in his chair, surrounded by his notes and this legacy he kind of created over 30 plus years. No way. That's in retrospect. That's it, was a great, it was great healing. You know, it was a great way to sort of uh, talk to my wife about it to kind of honor him to be like i'm going to do a great job with this you know i've learned from him i'm going to you know do successful and it's still my career now so from 2019 until when i stopped december 25th or 26 2021 i had a couple times again throughout there trying to quit we didn't like the sober link i don't know if you heard of that where you have to take breathalyzer multiple times a day for sure. They've that been was, a sponsor of this podcast. Correct. It's, I mean, it's a great program. I was just, you know, back to being stubborn again, trying to find a way to subvert the technology, started doing like smart recovery, which I really liked on the, the level of, you know, just how that program works, what they talk about in meetings. And, but I could never really get anything to stick. And then our daughter was born November of 2021. And you know, we had more conversations and then right around Christmas, the day after Christmas that year, we're back to square one again. It was like, you have this amazing family right here. You have a great job. Like, why are you trying to sab like sabotage all of it? And from there, like I didn't have another drink, started going to AA three times a week. And I think it was the first time I ad admitted to myself, I can't control this. And like, Thomas, I cannot do this anymore for the rest of my life. Shane, what did it feel like when you first admitted to yourself, yo, I cannot control this? I think it was a huge relief. It was like, I've been thinking I need this, you know, for all these illogical reasons for so long. And just to be like, it was very freeing. Yeah. I just kind of, from that point, you know, I, I go at this point, I go to an AA meeting one, one time a week and I'm just, it's one of these things I don't even really think about it anymore. I think one of the reasons I reached out to you was I, I'm at a point now where like I want to figure out what that next step is to make sure it never comes back to what happened in 2019 under any circumstances. And less than two weeks ago, like I said, my whole family drinks. Um, my dad was able to kind of do like six beers a night, very functional alcoholic. But uh, my oldest brother, I didn't realize he was started, he had started to drink whiskey pretty heavily 
and I got a call from my mom and two police officers were at her door and he had committed suicide. And that would be like, it would be very disrespectful for me to leave the part out that he took someone else with him in the process. And this is this month. My goodness, Shane. Yeah. It's very, very shocking. And, you know, my first instinct was to go, go be with my mom. And then I start kind of looking, I was like, is there a note? Is there something I can learn about what the heck happened? Because if I had any clue that this situation was boiling, you know, I would have, I would have reacted or done something, but I discovered like a cache or cache of whiskey bottles. Yeah. And I was just like, in, in like that almost like, at this point has like repulsed me even more with alcohol, but I know eventually this is going to, it's one of those things going to stay in my mind for a long time. And Shane, I got a question. How how are you doing, man? I mean, it's been very confusing. I can't even imagine, you know, the victim in the, in the situation to her family, how they must feel. I think about them a lot. But I mean, yeah, I've got one other brother and he and I have just, you know, we've talked a lot and we're both just really shocked. It's not an act that we would have ever expected, you know, to occur and not, no, there's not really like a history that would have led us to a conclusion that this was even a possibility out of him. But, you know, I'm, I'm doing as well as I can, I think. And I haven't even thought about reaching for alcohol or some sort of safety net to help cope with it. Yeah, Shane, a lot to comment there. Uh, and and thank you for sharing. Thank you for being here. You're doing great. Back to what you said in no, in November, you know, and then on Christmas Day, you've got this beautiful family with 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 your kids. You said back to square one. Now, I just read something with Swiss psychiatrist Carl Jung is is, you know, I th- I think it's him what you resist persists. And we all go back to square one with our drinking. You know, listeners, if it's not today, it's all right, you know, but eventually be be faced and speaking of that, you know, I, I've heard so many stories of, you know, the universe is like, all right, we need to sober up right now because, you know, you've got some big challenges coming up ahead. Shane, what you just explained with us, what went down in the last 30 days of your lifetime, um, if alcohol was nearby me and I, you know, flipped, it would go off the rails. So I, I bet you're thankful that you went into that with 13 or 14 months of alcohol-free time sobriety before that happened. Am I correct? Oh, Absolutely. I mean, I don't know. I feel like a different person the way that I've handled this situation than than I would have years ago or, you know, as a as a not sober person. It would have been a far different reaction and would have handled so much more poorly. But I think it's kind of shows me that, you know, you can't prepare for everything and there are going to be challenges ahead all the time, you know, in my life. And it's just a matter of making sure I've got continue to work on whatever becomes a sound infrastructure to me that that I cannot screw up in any way. Yeah. And Shane, talking about the amount of maturing or growing up that you've been forced to do in the last three years, one day you show up in your dad's chair at his office, right? And, and then what happened with your brother in, in that situation? And then, oh, you quit drinking, which for some people in a lifetime, uh, those three, just one of those in a lifetime is is, is the major and you got three in such a short short time frame so my my goodness <laughs> and you know where where are you at right now with 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 sobriety you mentioned aa like how, how are you doing it right now yeah i mean at the moment still you know listening to a lot of recovery elevator 
not going to lie. Sometimes if, if the, I go to an AA zoom meeting and sometimes if it's just trailed off into some sort of territory that I'm like, I don't feel like I'm getting anything out of it. I have like exited out of it and just listened to an episode of recovery elevator. Cause I typically get more out of that hearing, hearing the good and the bad, you know, I was obsessed with intervention for a long time and I loved every episode involving alcohol. Cause it kind of also gave, gives me a reminder of like, you know, how bad it can get for people. And, you know, almost just kind of helps me put that in perspective of where I was. Cause you don't really notice for the most part, how, how you look to other people when you're that, that invested in your drinking. It feels like a, you know, you surround yourself by situations that make it appear more normal or you kind of hide like I did and do it downstairs in the recording studio. For sure. Absolutely. And so, you know, earlier you mentioned you moved to LA and with, with your band to, to follow that dream, mad respect. I went to college out there and I was in a band and I had some members come out and like, we really gave it a go. It was amazing. So glad I did. The band broke up incredibly painful. Um, and I thought that dream had, I thought that dream had vanished because alcohol took over and hello, you know, tailspin, whatever it was. A, it was a, what a wonderful journey to be on. And then I was playing music in COVID and the spark was like, whoa, this dream might still be alive. I need to practice more, just like improve my craft more. But as you mentioned with, you know, you're looking for your next step, <laughs> you know, you got that moment of your recovery, you're looking for your next step. How about music, man? Is this something that is that dream? Like, let's try it again in, in, in Birmingham, Alabama, and we're, we're not drinking. We're going to focus on the music and here's a new project that wants to be birthed. I don't know. Where does, where does music fit in your recovery? I actually wrote that down as a question that I wanted to ask as well. It's still like, you know, it's a part of me at this point and, and my wife as well. So I think, you know, we've been talking about, you know, even just picking like, here's this night, night of the week or two nights a week where we put the kids to bed and we have, let's say an hour, let's write a song, let's record the whole thing, give ourselves like the time to actually go in there and work on it and see where we get, because she's a children's li librarian, just write some fantastic children's music. And um, obviously we're surrounded by that with a four and one year old right now. I'm like, these people do pretty well at this, you know? <laughs> and uh, she's, she's incredibly talented. So I think, you know, whatever way I can put my, my ability to use, I, I would love to, because in my field at work, I don't have a lot of creative outlets. So I need, yeah, I do need to keep that going. Yeah. Was it the, the mechanical trucking parts? I do. I work in parts. So yeah, like um, managing parts department and yeah, um, but so it's a lot of Tell me about and, the job and like replacing your father. How, how has that been? I, I mean, my goal when I worked under him as a salesperson was to like get so good at the job that I never had to ask him a question. Because I hated coming into his office and being like, hey, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? And then I did get to that point and it would be like the rarest of occasions I would need to ask him something. And so, you know, I learned so much that for me, it's trying to like kind of build my own foundation in it, but also carry on some aspect of his legacy because he was he was actually very creative with what he did in this field. So there's a lot of inspiration I take from it, from having worked for him and just him in general, like just kind of being like the rock of the family. Somebody I, I aspire to, to be as much like him as I can for, for my family. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Shane. I got a, a couple more questions before we hit the rapid fire round, Shane. So 
you know, we're coming up on a, a year and a half. You've got a great amount of time away from alcohol. Hell yeah, my man. The question is, you know, give us a theme of what people can expect almost physically or perhaps mentally in the year and a half. Like what was the first six months like versus the sec- the middle six months and the third six months? I mean, the first six months for me, just, you know, better sleep for one, less restrictions on what I can do, you know, you're not planning your life around it. So that really opens up a lot of things. You know, if you're into exercising, obviously your fitness can improve dramatically. I work out, you know, five days a week and that has been tremendous, you know, tremendously helpful for me. And that was one thing I noticed when I quit the first time in 2014, I started jump roping every day and, you know, that kind of replaced it in a way for me with something, something healthy. But then second six months, just, you know, probably some more renewed clarity and confidence. Beyond that, I mean, just just in general, like you, your overall lifestyle gets, you know, changes. And I'm at a point, you know, my wife drinks wine on occasion and I fully support it. I tell her all the time, I'm like, please, I admire, like, I'm fascinated by people that don't have alcohol problems that can handle it. I'm all for it. And I'm fine with it being in the house. Like that's, that's another, you know, great thing that came pretty quickly. Yeah. Shane, how open are you with this about your friends Do or the people know, do your coworkers know, Hey, don't ask, you know, Shane for a drink. He's drinking, right. He's not drinking. Yeah. Coworkers kind of forget, but uh, I have, I have been very open with them about it. We go on like, you know, we've gone on several out of town trips for work and like we went to this Disney world retreat to kind of learn about their practices and um, how Disney operates. It's a company. And there was a couple of times there where I'd never been surrounded by more free alcohol. And it was, it was just, you know, real easy to just look past it, go to my room or whatever and catch up on, catch up on sleep. And then I've got one of my best friends is uh, recovering in recovery. And so I've been making it a point to try to call him more, you know, check in how he's doing. And it just kind of helps keep that line of communication open with, with him. And I would really like to spend more time helping other people, you know, that that's, I think the next step for me is to, to put myself out there in more uncomfortable positions such as this podcast, but you know, people close to me where I can help maybe alter somebody's life where a situation like my, what happened with my brother never gets to that point. That's, I have a tremendous amount of drive because of that situation right now. And I think I would like to lean into that as much as I can. Wow. As you, as you said, you have a tremendous amount of drive from that situation. People can take that and go either way. Shane, that's a, uh, yeah, that's fantastic. Shane, I got another question before we hit the rapid fire round in this last year and some change year and a half, have you had any intense cravings or, or is the voice come in be like, you know, Shane, it really wasn't that bad. It's going to be different this time. Uh, and then how'd you get through it? Um, there was one time at an airport coming back from out of town and there were, you know, we had like a four hour, we got there four hours early and everybody was drinking in like the hotel or in the the airport bar. And there was this little voice in my mind that was like, you know, you could probably handle one right now. You'd be all right. And I just kind of like, just kind of laughed it off. It was like, what a stupid thought. It was pretty easy. I mean, I just kind of like tried to diminish it into being what it was just an incredibly dumb thought from somewhere in the depths of my brain <laughs> yeah that's um the untethered soul michael singer type stuff right there like hey yeah, that's cool thought is in i am the observer and not the thoughts in my head <laughs> that's neat 
Yeah, thank you for sharing. Shane, we have reached the rapid fire round. You can answer these questions in 10 to 30 seconds. That'd be great. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right, Shane, what's the one thing you've learned about yourself since quitting drinking? I don't need to drink to have a good time. It sounds cheesy, but it's true. Oh, that's that's phenomenal. Yeah, music to my ears. Shane, best sober moment? Best sober moment. I've had so many in the last year and a half with my family, but just seeing my my son and daughter playing in the backyard together, being silly, I think that has to be, you know, just watching the two of them have a good time is just amazing. Yeah, favorite AF drink? Any kind of seltzer water, honestly. LaCroix, Polar, Waterloo. I'm basically a seltzer connoisseur at this moment. Yeah, okay, Shane. What's the point of life? Connection. Okay. What is your favorite? Ah, let's go 80s band, Shane. 80s? Oh, boy. I thought you were going to throw 90s in there. Uh, 80s. I don't think the Pixies had quite started in the 80s yet. So um, That's all right. We're, we're not moving synth, on. I'm trying to think of synth pop bands, but I'm losing it. The Cure. Yeah. The Cure oh, started okay. in the 80s. All right. There we go. Next question. What are some of your favorite resources, Shane? Um, I love this podcast. I need to get into uh, Cafe RE. You know, AA also have, um, you know, I'm not the most religious person in the world. So I've, you know... I, I, you know, smart recovery has been pretty helpful as well. So I'm leaning towards maybe shifting back towards that. Yeah, mostly podcasts. I mean, I've absolutely dive into that as much as I can. What doors has sobriety opened up for you, Shane? I think it's opened up opportunities for me to uh, trust myself that I can handle situations and I can. Um, I can be I can be outgoing in situations and take take the lead more when whereas before I relied on alcohol to give me that that courage. I'm actually stronger at that than I ever thought I was. Yeah, favorite Olympic event. That's a total curveball, by the way. Shane. I, know, I didn't see that one coming. Uh, that's what the is first the, time uh, I can I can tell you, Shane. Um, that's the first time I've ever asked that question on the Recovery Elevator podcast. But I, I I'm so curious. What's your? You got Summer Olympics. You got Winter Olympics. You got bobsled. Um, you got track and field. Yeah. What is what are like some of a lot of the skating, the oh, okay. ice skating ones? I think are pretty fascinating. Yeah. Gotcha. Cool. And last question, Shane, what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners? Um, I would like to relay or um, repeat the one that my former manager told me, um, just stop drinking. And I said at the time, it sounded so stupid. And it really can boil down to being that easy. I know everybody's circumstances are different. And like I said, I'm so fortunate to have a very supportive and amazing, loving wife who, you know, it may have been different without without her. It may have been impossible to me. I don't know. But um, I guess just huddle around people that support you. Okay. Thank you, Shane. And before we depart, give listeners your own, you might need to ditch the booze if line. You might need to ditch the booze if it's the first thing you think about in the morning or if you have to plan your day around it. Gotcha. That works. Shane, thank you so much for being here. This hour flew by. And uh, yeah, keep it going, my man. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. I can't believe I'm going to talk about Bud Light on a sobriety podcast, but let's do it. 
There has been some recent controversy about Bud Light placing a transgender person on the can. Country music star Garth Brooks was criticized for selling this can of Bud Light at his bar. When asked why he was selling that beer, he responded with, Look, if you want to come to friends in low places, come in with love. Come in with tolerance, patience. Come in with an open mind. Okay, Recovery Elevator has no intention of waging a war against alcohol. That's a waste of our time. In fact, Bud Light and Recovery Elevator, we have something in common. In response to the controversy with Bud Light, the CEO of the company said, We had no intention of dividing people. We are in the business of bringing people together over a beer. Hmm. Recovery Elevator's goal is strikingly similar. We are in the business of bringing people together who don't drink or drink soda water or NA beers. So listeners, thank you for being open while listening. Thank you for opening up your podcast player with tolerance and patience, mostly for yourselves. Recovery Elevator, it all starts from the inside out. I love you guys.